Good morning. Well, this is the last Sunday that you will have somebody other than the senior minister or our youth pastor preaching except for special occasions. How about a round of applause for that, folks? Come on. But you're still not off the hook. Remember about two months ago when the vision was cast out for the church by the elders that we're looking to impact our community to help them improve their walk with Christ. And we're in the middle of that time right now. And if I were to ask each one of you personally, looking you in the eye, ask, have you become more Christ-like? Are you more sanctified compared to how you were two months ago? What would that be? I'm not going to do that. I'm not a big believer in raise your hand and... And do that because I hate it when people do it to me. But seriously, where are you at? If you've looked in the mirror recently, remember I challenged you to look in the mirror, whether it's weekly or monthly, looking back, do you see a change? Do you see God working in your life? Maybe other people around you have noticed a difference. If so, great. And you have the opportunity then to share what is different about you. Or perhaps you haven't changed in any way. In which case, it's not too late. We are a work in progress. Um, Last week, this week, and next week, we're focusing on our mission. Joshua preached about following the way. Today, I will be teaching about truth. And next week, Ryan will be closing out the series on sharing the life. Our mission, that's what Prairie View wants to do. So the question is, what is truth? You're going to have to apologize. I'm going to have to look backwards. The back screen's not working. I blame Tom again. I have to get that in every sermon. But... (laughs) There's this beautiful painting. It actually is out of the Truth Project, and a lot of what I'm talking about is out of the Truth Project, a study put out by Focus on the Family on a Biblical Worldview. But this is one of the opening pictures. This is Behold the Man, Christ Before Pilate by Antonio Cesare, done about the 1800s. And this kind of sets the um, stage for where we're going to be at. But one of the things I love about this picture is if you've read... John 18. You can see several characters in there. You obviously see Jesus and Pilate's got his arm stretched out. But the woman turning away, that's Pilate's wife. Talks about what's going on with Pilate's wife. And to the left side over there, you see the Roman centurions. They have their big eagle up there. Um, The artist here really put together what was happening at that moment. So what was happening then? In John 1837, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Let me go back a little bit. Jesus came into the world to testify to the truth. That's one of his purposes. As you read the Bible, you'll see there are other purposes too, but Jesus is stating to Pilate, I am here to testify to the truth. Well, if Jesus is here to testify to the truth, then truth must be very important. The next verse, John 18:38, our base verse for this. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. When Pilate said, what is truth? We don't have anything on these words on how he said it. I mean, we had the picture before up there where you just kind of get a glimpse, but it's an artist rendition. We don't know how he said it. Do you say it sarcastic like a politician would? What is truth? You know, just blowing off that statement. Maybe he was truly seeking Like we do today. What is truth? Now, I doubt that because of what happens later in the verse. Maybe it was a fatalistic approach where he said, what is truth? And he's somber over the fact that he knows truth didn't matter in this trial. This was nothing about truth. Maybe there was something else. We don't know. We don't have that insight in this verse on what Pilate said. You know what I would love to know is exactly what Jesus would have said if 
He'd taken the time to answer. But if you notice, it said, with this, he went out again to the Jews and said. He didn't stop and wait for an answer. Ravi Zacharias, an excellent um, Christian man, he's got Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, goes around the world. Um, Put it this way. Pilate walked away from the greatest authority on the greatest question and committed the greatest crime at that time. What he's saying is, if Jesus came to testify to the truth, Pilate didn't take the time to listen to what the truth was. He turned and walked away, and therefore committed a large crime at that. So the question is, just what Pilate said, as we look at our mission statement, you know, teaching the truth. So what is truth? Well, I have a video clip from the Truth Project, and in this video clip, these are people. These are not actors. They were not pre-screened. They were not given the questions beforehand. A little montage of a group of people of all walks of life of what is truth. No sound.
So did you get a whole panoply of answers there? And it is a very tough question uh, to answer what is truth. It's not easy. If it was easy, you wouldn't have had 10 different people stumbling through different ideas of what truth is. Well, let's go to the Bible. That's our source, our frame that we like to use as Christians in the Bible. And what does the Bible say about truth? And I've broken it down into, well, kind of Clint Eastwood-ish, the good, the bad, and the ugly. On the good side of things, there's many verses to talk about the truth. In John 17:17, 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 18:32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14:16 through 17, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. John 16:13, but when he the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. First Timothy chapter two, verses three and four. This is good and pleases God, our savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. In Ephesians, this is the famous chapter, um, the armor of God, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Truth is the word of God. Um, interesting enough, in John 18, 32, it says truth will set you free. That quote is on the wall of uh, the CIA headquarters. Because truth will set you free. The spirit of truth is sent to us. And the spirit of truth also will guide us into truth. When we're saved, we come into a knowledge of all truth. And then finally, the armor of God that protects us. One of the pieces of it is the belt of truth that's buckled around us. So truth is a great thing. There are way more verses than this. This is just snippets of how truth is good for us. Well, what about the bad? In Isaiah 59:15, truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. And then again in Jeremiah 5:1, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider, search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive the city. In the first verse, when truth isn't found, God is displeased. The maker of the universe, the creator of all, is displeased when truth is not found. And in Jeremiah, it comes back that he, God was going to forgive if there one person that seeks the truth. One person that deals honestly in Jerusalem could be found. Obviously, God takes truth very seriously. Now, what about the ugly side of truth? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is a warning to everybody out there that man will turn away from listening to the truth. Christians can turn away from listening to the truth. It's a warning that Paul is writing to Timothy. In Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The unrighteous suppress the truth. Again, a warning to the Romans, truth will be suppressed. Acts 20.30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away from them. Truth gets distorted. Romans 125, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than creator who is forever praised. People exchanged the truth of God for a lie. There's that exchange there. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, 
For this reason, God sent them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. People will be condemned who do not believe in the truth. If you go through online, NIV version, I can't say for ESV or the other ones, there are over 250 verses that have truth identified in it. And when you go through Isaiah and Jeremiah, you will see that God takes truth very seriously. A lot in the New Testament, how God rewards truth, and some in the Old Testament. Then finally, the ugly, through our sin, we often try to distort, turn away, suppress, reject, exchange the truth. And we end up being condemned because we don't believe the truth. So getting back to that original question, what is truth? For years I've used this phrase, truth is perception. When I try to explain to somebody, whether it's something medically in my career or why somebody might do something, it's perception is the framework a person is operating when they look at that. So a person's truth, like they said, they're relative. If you want to use a lower capital case or a lower case T truth, truth is relative to people because it's in their perception. I've got a couple examples of this. Take a baby. I love babies in the clinic. Have a whole bunch of newborns in. And new time parents, I love talking and sitting with them. And I tell them the job of their child over the first four weeks is to eat, sleep, poop, and grow. Those are the four things a baby's supposed to do. And in order to do that, that baby must be fed, must be kept warm and dry, (laughs) and must be changed regularly. That's what the baby must do. That baby's truth, little t, is that they are to be kept warm, safe, dry, and fed. That's their truth. They don't think anything outside of, well, OSHA threw out, or not OSHA, excuse me, um, the government threw out this baby crib because the baby got caught in. They don't think anything. Their truth, their perception, their framework is they must be warm, dry, safe, and fed. Another example is um, primitive natives and technology. Um, back in World War II, there was a cult in the, um, formed in the Pacific Ocean Islands. It's called the cargo cult because these people, very primitive natives, Airplanes would land, people with modern technology would come in, and they would see a radio, and they would think it was magic. In their framework, it was magic. They don't understand why the radio works. So for them, it's magic. Their truth was there is magic that these Westerners are bringing onto their island. And finally, nowadays, um, as we deal with non-believers, as Christians, we're called to deal with non-believers. As our mission states and our vision, we're going to reach out to our community to help them actively pursue their walk with Christ. We're going to deal with people that don't have a framework other than what the world has for them. And you can look at some of the examples, the use of money, divorce, treatment of others. Their framework is totally different than the framework that we're going to be talking about here. I love the definition of truth, and I stole this, I admit, from the Truth Project, from Del Tackett, from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It says, truth, conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or will be. And then the example he cites in there is, we rely upon the truth of scriptural prophecy, exact accordance with that which shall be. That's the example he's using with that. Now, if you take the modern, more politically correct Webster's Dictionary, it just says the property of being in accord with fact or reality, which isn't necessarily wrong, but it completely cut out what Webster put in in 1828, which was according to God. God's framework. R.C. Sproul, who's a famous theologian, defined truth very simply as reality as perceived by God. The framework of God. And he went on to expand. 
God cannot sin. Because God cannot sin, he cannot lie. Because he cannot lie, everything he says must be true. His framework for Christians is what reality is. That's truth. Well, how does he reveal this to us? There's two ways. One, obviously, I just talked about was the Bible. And leaving aside the different translations uh, that there are, ESV, NIV, New King James Version, um, and also, I fully admit, stepping over the whole verses that seem to contradict each other. Take the verses on predestination versus free will. You can find both in there. Or the whole book of Revelation to me, sometimes I look at and say, I don't understand, I don't get this. But putting that aside, if it is clear in God's word, in the Bible, that is reality, that is truth, whether we like to accept it or not. And people quibble. And there's actually, just this last week, I got a great example of this. My mom had surgery, and I thank you all for your prayers. She came through it good with just a couple of hiccups. But as we were waiting for surgery, a woman from another church, my parents are um, what I call Christian Catholics. Uh, they are Christian but attend the Catholic Church. They're part of an interdenominational group known as uh, Evangelical Healing. They have Baptists, Episcopalians, non-denominational, Pentecostal, but people that believe in spiritual healing, both of the physical body and the spiritual nature of people. One of the ladies came in and sat with Dad and my sister and I, and um, we were talking about, she's an Episcopalian church, and her church was actually kicked out of the American Episcopalian branch of the Anglican Church or the Church of England. The Church of England is the original Episcopalian Church, and there's different divisions out of it. They were kicked out about 10 years ago because they made a stand that said, if it is clear in God's word, the denomination cannot make rules that counteract that. And I'm not going to go into the whole breakdown of what they were, but there were a whole series, and they were basically social rules, but it was in direct conflict to what was written in the Bible. So they got kicked out. They joined another denomination, another division of it, actually through Rwanda, but it's the biggest growing division in the uh, United States. But So they took a stand that said, if it's in the Bible, and it is clearly in the Bible, that is truth. And then there's also the Holy Spirit, and this is a little more nebulous. God sends us a spirit of truth. We just read that, that will guide us to truth. How do we know? We talked about this uh, last year with God's will. There are times I can look you straight in the eye and tell you, I know God has worked in my life and I've been prompted by the Holy Spirit. But I can count those on one hand, literally. Now, there's a whole bunch of times I can look back and say, okay, it's obvious God was working there, but not seeking. I've met people that say they feel no prompting and other people that say they do everything by the Holy Spirit. They're led by it. But his counselor of truth is there for us. Those are the two ways right now that God communicates truth to us. So, if truth is the reality is perceived by God, how do we handle this truth? This is a great example from a good movie. <laughs> you may recognize Jack Nicholson on this next slide that comes up. But it's from A Few Good Men. And um, in there, Tom Cruise um, asked the question, you know, Tell me the truth, basically about a code red where a um, Marine was um, killed by other Marines. And uh, Jack Nicholson comes back and says, you can't handle the truth. And when we look at the framework Jack Nicholson is in, I want to read a quote from a part of the paragraph that he told him. You know, he said, he told Tom Cruise he can't handle the truth. And this is Jack Nicholson now. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone to a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. You have neither the time nor the inclination to I have neither the time nor inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom I provide. 
then questions the manner with which I provide it. I'd rather you just said thank you and went on your own way. Jack Nicholson's character's framework was his truth, his reality was, I'm going to defend the United States of America no matter what. The framework of Tom Cruise was, a man was killed, and that is wrong. And so when Tom Cruise says, I want the truth, he says, you can't handle the truth. That's what he's saying. You can't handle the truth. Well, you know, we as Christians know the truth. It said when we become saved, we start to know the truth. And I, it's not like it all pops in our head. Somebody didn't plug a USB drive in the back of our head and everything downloads immediately. But we're on a journey where we discover more and more of the truth. And as Christians, we are to handle the truth. And not only are we to handle it, we're to share the truth. And that's where in 1 John 2, verses 20 through 21, when we share and talk to people about the truth, this is what John said. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Again, we know this truth as Christians. We know it. How are we going to share this? Well, if we're going to follow the way, teach the truth, and share the life, we need to share the truth. I will admit, this next slide that comes up here, there are times in my life before I was born again where I felt that's how people were trying to share the truth with me. Three inches from my face, spittle spraying all over it, just hammering, 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 hammering. Um, I witnessed it at Purdue. There was a street evangelist there by the name of Brother Max, and I do not doubt his sincerity, um, however, the questioning of his methods in talking with my classmates, uh, a girl would walk by and he'd call her a harlot. A guy would walk by and say, you're going to burn in hell because of what you're wearing or because of what you're doing. Um, whether that's true or not, it turned off so many students that were not interested. And they would talk about it and not just make fun of the man doing it. But why would I want to be part of a religion where they had that? Well, there is a place for confrontation in the Christian faith. There's no doubt about it. Jesus set the example in the temple when he lashed together those cords, made a whip, and chased the money changers out. But in that context, that was chasing out people who knew the truth and were defiling God's temple. What I'm talking about here is something different. I'm talking about sharing the truth with the community around us, sharing it with the non-believer, or maybe somebody that thinks they're saved but really is not showing fruit of that. So if we're talking about that, this is how I believe we should not be. And actually, it's backed up biblically in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 28 through 26. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. I want to focus in there on gently instruct those that don't know God. When I came to Christ, again, even though I grew up in the church, it was a group of men that came over to my house and gently instructed me over a series of weeks on questions that I had. Why would God allow some to perish and not? What do you mean I'm not saved because I was baptized in an infant? But they didn't berate me. They didn't hammer me. They treated me, what it says right here, be kind to everyone, gently instructing. And for me personally, it made all the difference in the world. I didn't have... The Brother Maxson scenario where somebody was three inches spitting on me. The follow-up to this is God will, God will grant them repentance leading to the truth. It says God will grant them repentance if they seek him, and it will lead them to the truth as well. And the other verse, Colossians, 
Chapter 4, 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, there's one key here that this isn't directly mentioning truth, but I think is a very important part of it. And Mike and others have preached it from the pulpit. We are to make the most of every opportunity. We have opportunities daily with many people. Maybe it's how we act. Maybe it's how we speak. Um, maybe it's an intentional conversation about Christ and the difference Christ has made in our lives. Maybe it's just questioning somebody and helping them. But we're to take that opportunity, make the most of every opportunity. But then it says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Again, with a gentleness, a love. This people's framework, or the, the framework of the world, the framework of maybe how they grew up or the job, or maybe they're Muslim. Uh, one of the, actually he's the cerebral palsy child, a teen that was up there that said, you know, every religion thinks that their religion is the rules of the universe. So if you have a Muslim or somebody of the Jewish face, Hindu, something else, their framework's totally different. Trying to berate them into understanding what's going on. No, gently show them, talk them, bring them there. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 32 through 33, do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, or Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul's telling the Corinthians there again, not only be gentle, this isn't about you, this is about God and saving people. And remember that. It says, as try to please everybody in every way. He's not saying that he drew the line in the sand with a Muslim and said, you're going to go to hell and that's it, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. No. Love them, gentle them, get them to where they need to understand where they're at. And it's difficult. Uh, Personality types are totally different. If you were to look on the elder board, you would see two super aggressive people in Craig and myself. Uh, Rick has a very gentle spirit and so does Terry. And uh, Joshua vacillates between the two. I mean, it doesn't come natural for me not to get in somebody's face, just play volleyball with me sometime. But when we are dealing with somebody's salvation, when we are trying to bring them to the truth, to teach the truth to an outsider, we need to be gentle. There is truth that needs to be shared. The Bible is full of it. Leaving aside the verses, his word is truth. Jesus died for our sins. Immutable truth. Fact. He rose from the grave. Another truth. Fact. Through grace we are saved, and because of that we have eternal life that cannot be earned. That is truth. Period. Just about every week we bring back the gospel, the good news. Why? Because those are facts. That is the basis of our religion, of our belief, of our truth that we're trying to share. If you have not accepted Christ, as we say every week, but I sincerely mean it, you need to talk to Mike, to Ryan when he comes here, one of the leadership. Maybe you have questions out there, questions that don't make sense. I don't guarantee to have all the answers, but we can certainly look and try to find them. There's a lot smarter people than me out there that deal with those really hard questions. Does God really exist? And if he does, why would he let people burn in hell? That's a question that has resonated in my heart for years. But if those type questions are holding you back from accepting Jesus as your Savior, step up. Please open the dialogue, and I promise it will be seasoned with grace. It will not be three inches from your face spitting on you as we talk about it. Maybe you've accepted grace. 
if you have, please share the truth. It doesn't mean that you have to be ready with a 20-point sermon, ready to go on grace. Live it. Share it. Talk about it. Let yourself show fruit. As we talked about in sanctification, we're using these four months to get ourselves ready to launch out into this community, to help our community actively pursue their walk with Christ. If you're not actively walking with Christ, even though you're saved, it's time to step up. If you need help, if you need prayer, if you need accountability, again, talk to leadership, talk to a small group, whatever it may be, Mike and Ryan, whatever it is, we're called to do that. Our vision of Prairie View Christian Church is to help our community actively pursue their walk with Christ. And as our mission says, the second point of it, in doing so, they must hear the truth. We must teach it. In order to hear, we must know the truth. So I'm challenging everybody here over the next two months, as you look back in the mirror, as you get ready for the new year, learn the truth. Spend time with the truth. Spend time in God's word. The truth is there. Spend time in prayer. God has granted us the ability to communicate directly with him and how wonderful that is. Spend time surrounding yourself with godly people, whether it's a small group, whether it's BSF, maybe it's just an accountability partner. Maybe it's changing the radio station over to a Moody or a K-Love instead of a secular one because you seem to get drugged down by that. That's me. Uh, If I flip it over to the standard stations, I notice that I change a little bit, so I keep it on Christian music. Whatever it is in these next two months, please focus on the truth. Next week, we're going to talk about the life. And I look forward to hearing what Ryan has to say. But all of us have a responsibility. We have our framework. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come on up. And I ask you, as we sit here and look back and you think about this sermon, to realize our truth is God's reality, his perception. So my original statement, truth is perception, is not wrong. I've used it over the years. It just leaves out God like so many of us do. So remember that this week. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, Lord, we thank you so much um, that you do give us truth. And so many people don't have it. And sometimes we have trouble understanding the truth or we don't want to accept it. But Lord, we know that your truth is there. It's in your word. It's brought by the Holy Spirit. Help us over the next two months to bring ourselves into closer um, relationship with you and your truth, that we can share it, that we can do it full of grace, seasoned with salt, in a way that people may come to know you because it's not about us. It's about their salvation and their relationship with you. Lord, thank you so much for the words that you have, and let us live them every day. It's your name we pray. Amen.